Welcome to the Fallen State. I'm Jesse Lee Peterson. Thank you so much for being with me. Remember, you can support the Fallen State on at the thefallenstate.tv slash donate and on locals.com. So click the link in the description to support our work. I have with me a very interesting guest today, Anthony J. Moore. He is an author and former judge who served for 26 years on the Superior Court of California, County of Los Angeles, and he also sat as a judge pro team on the California Court of Appeal. Uh, Anthony uh, is with us today. He has a brand new book out, Every Other Weekend, Coming of Age with Two Different Dads. Amazing. Thank you for coming. Well, thank you for asking me, Jesse. Yeah. It's great to be here. You know, I watched some of your videos, when, a couple of your interviews about being a judge, and it was interesting. What made you decide as a young kid that you wanted to be a judge? Well, as a young kid, I never thought I would be a judge. Um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I saw TV shows uh, with judges in them. And frankly, at the time, I thought all judges were nasty old men because that's what you would see on television right. back in the late 50s or into the 60s. Uh, and then I sort of defaulted into law school because everybody said, you like to write, you like to speak, you want to be a lawyer. So I became a lawyer, still not thinking I'd become a judge. But after a number of years, some friends started saying, you've got what it takes, you ought to consider it. And I said, I don't know the governor. And they said, well, we know people who do know the governor. And one thing led to another, and you apply. You could also run for election, but that's a harder road to hoe. Right. So I, I sent in my application to the governor's office and was lucky and fortunate enough to get the appointment. Amazing. Being a judge nowadays is difficult than it was when you first started out in that everything seemed to be so crooked or unfair and, and just, you know, have you seen a change in, in, the, in the court system being a judge and the way things have changed from the time you started to now? Well, first of all, I want to tell you, I'll give a shout out to the California bench. We are really one of the very cleanest benches in the country as far as I can tell. And I have become a little familiar with some of the other states. Right. Um, I was always afraid that once I became a judge, one day somebody would lead me into a dark room and say, you know, there's no Santa Claus. You know, we're <laughs> all on the take and we all do what, you know, somebody up there tells us what to do. Right. That's not the case. We really are independent. We really make the decisions that we think are right and try to follow the law as best we can. Uh, I have not been, I have not learned of one case of bribery uh, in my 26 years, nice. anywhere in the state of California. Uh, I do know of a couple of cases where people were offered money not to run for office for a judgeship, uh, and that qualifies as bribery. But I'm thinking about you know, paying money to fix the traffic ticket or to uh, rule one oh, way yeah. in, a, in a case. I never heard of that. And most of my friends on the bench wouldn't even know how to initiate that kind of a conversation with a lawyer uh, or how to, and if they, if, if and I went, nobody ever initiated that kind of conversation with them. I know if it happened to me, the first thing I do is call the district attorney's office right. or the FBI. But it never happened. We were very lucky in that way. So, uh, and, and that holds really from 1994 till now. Uh, what's changed, I guess, is really thanks to the pandemic, we have a lot more remote judging, remote courtrooms, yeah. people on Zoom. 
And while that's great for lawyers because you're, spend, you're, you're saving a lot of money by not having to drive down to court for a 10-minute hearing, um, I'd prefer to see the real people in court in yeah. front of me. Yeah. Uh, I get it. I know why it, they want to be on Zoom, and I'll go along with that. But it's, it's not as much fun, and it's a little more difficult because uh, to judge credibility uh, by looking at somebody on the screen is not as yeah. easy uh, as judging credibility when they're standing in front of you. We're in the witness box. Do you trust the jewelry nowadays? Because, yeah. you know, with all this race mess going on, and and I know uh, sometimes, if not all the time, a lot of time, when there are black juries and white victims, the blacks tend to convict the, the white victim because of payback in their mind, right? It's a payback. How can you tell when the jury are being honest and fair? Or do you just take their word? Well, you have to take their word for it. Oh. You can't say, um, you know, you, you can't say, gee, you weren't honest or fair. Now, having said that, in a, in a criminal case, if a defendant is convicted and you think it's unfair, you can grant a new trial. If they're acquitted, that's it. You can't grant another trial. They're found not guilty. You know, as unfair as the jury might have been, they're not guilty. End of story. Uh, now, in civil cases, again, you can sometimes disregard the verdict, and I've done that a couple of times. Right. Uh, not because I thought the jury was unfair so much as they didn't understand the law yeah. or they did something that just you know, didn't comport with a statute. Uh, and I didn't do it often. But generally, I'd say 80% of the time they do the right thing. A civil case is when someone is sued for material things? Right, or for anything. Oh. You know, John sues Mary, Mary sues the corporation. That is a civil case. Right. Criminal cases, the state is prosecuting you because you did something that qualifies as a crime. Over the years of being a judge, at the end of any trial, have you ever felt, you know what, there was something wrong with that. That wasn't quite fair. Even though you trust the jury, or did you have a gut feeling that the jury was wrong? I can only think of about two or three criminal cases where that happened. Yeah. I can't think of any civil case. Well, yes, I, t I remember one civil case. But again, the jury got it wrong, and I was able to uh, uh, strike the verdict and enter a different judgment. And nobody ever appealed it. I mean, it was fairly clear the jury missed it. Right. Uh, but I had a couple of criminal cases where... Uh, one in particular was a child molestation case, and it was clear the defendant was guilty. He took the stand and admitted <laughs> that he had abused a 9-year-old and a 13-year-old girl. Right. And his excuse was, uh, I wanted them to learn about sex safely and not get AIDS. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that, he's essentially convicted himself, yeah. and the jury hung. They didn't acquit him. The jury hung, so I set it for a new trial. And he was convicted the next time oh, around. Man. Is it good for a plaintiff? I would be a plaintiff if I was in court, right? If you want but, to sue somebody, right. yes. To have on their tr trial in the jury a lawyer. Well, there's an old saying, Jesse. He who represents himself has a fool for a client. No, but I mean, like, if, is it good for me or anyone? You know, like, have you have the jurors in there? making yeah. the decision about the case. Should you ever have a lawyer sitting in the, as one of the judges? Oh, I jury? understand the question now. Depends on the case. Um, I've seen lawyers on juries, and they've been fine. Um, 
I had one murder case that lasted about a month and a half. It was a real interesting case. He did it, and he admitted he did it. The question was why and whether or not he was justified in murdering the victim. Right. And it turned out a lawyer showed up, and not just any lawyer, a lawyer who had done legal work for my family. And I disclosed this <laughs> to both sides. You know, figured they want to get, you know, they're going to strike him. They all shook their head. That's fine. No problem. They liked him. And you know, he was a very good man. And he sat there. He obviously became the foreperson of the jury. And he brokered a verdict uh, between first-degree murder and uh, negligent homicide. And so the jury came back with voluntary manslaughter, which really was okay. I mean, for me, it was either second degree or manslaughter, and I could live with that. And I know that this person had done everything he could to avoid a hung jury. Right. Amazing. Yeah. So you, you have a very interesting background. You, you, you were born and raised in California, right. right? And you ended up with a stepfather. Right. And if I remember, your stepfather was wealthy. He was very rich. You know, when, oh, he, oh, oh. when he proposed to my mother, he said, and this, I found this out later, he said to her, I can be a rich man or I can be a poor man. Yeah. Stan was an entrepreneur and he took risks, many right. more than I've always wanted to take. I'm not, I'm risk averse. Uh, but Stan wasn't, he would fling the dice every time. Uh, he happened to do very well with the company he was running at the time, which right. was Dashu Business Machines. Right. He ultimately, uh, it, 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 it really was one of the pioneers in the credit card world. He built the machines that embossed it and printed the Bank AmeriCard. And ultimately nice. the company was sold to Hughes. Uh, the Hughes uh, Tool Corporation at the time. So he was lucky on that one. And the next one or two companies, he was lucky. But at the end of his life, he was unlucky. He had a couple of two or three companies that just didn't go anywhere. And one was sold for scrap. Uh, another, when he died, we, uh, his children, sold it for $10. Wow. But, you know, that's the life of an entrepreneur. What was it like having a stepfather for you? Well, it, it, I was lucky because Stan really tried his best. You know, both of my fathers were men who, despite their faults, had many good qualities and they both tried their best to do the right thing. But it's never the same. Yeah. He's not your father. Yeah, that's right. He's a step-parent and you always wonder, you know, why is it that my father's not here? Yes. Now, my father in, this, in my case was a couple of miles away with a stepmother. <laughs> what a mess. <laughs> so there I am, and that's why I wrote the book. Right. I mean, cycling between two different uh, families, or we might call it uh, oscillating or pinging or shuttlecocking, as one critic said, between two different families. And your father was an actor, I think? Right. And, and he, he started out in radio or something? Correct. Tell us about that. Well, he began uh, in New York doing announcing, um, and he did very well. Uh, he appeared in many radio plays. I was told about like four or five hundred. Right. I, I haven't heard them all by a long shot, but I'm told that that was the number. Um, he was uh, the biggest one, of course, was Philip Marlowe. He played Philip Marlowe on the air. Oh, yeah. And it was wildly successful. Um, when radio began to fade out, he did his best to get into you know, TV and movies. And he did it, but it was hard uh, adapting to it was difficult. He never achieved the fame on the screen that he had on the radio, right. although he did very well. He was working. Um, but it was never like the radio right. days. 
And so how were you when your father and mother divorced? I was nine. You were nine years old? Yeah. And what was that for you when they divorced? How, how did you feel about that? It's a trauma. Yeah. I think for any kid, it's a trauma. I don't care how old you, you are. You write about that. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I mean, for me, and I, I do write about this in the book, it right. was very hurtful, um, you know, searing pain in many ways. Um, I'm just lucky that uh, you know, I didn't come out worse than I did. Um, I know that my grades dipped in school, uh, my conduct dipped in school. I still have those report cards from third and fourth grade. Yeah. Third grade, I was you know, A's and outstanding in conduct. Fourth grade, not so good. Uh, conduct barely slipping by. Amazing. Yeah. And did you talk to your mother about how you felt about this yearning desire you had for your father? Oh, not as much as I should have. And why not? Nine years old, emotions bottled up, didn't know what to say, didn't yeah. know what was happening. Uh, the one advice I would ever give uh, to any family is if there is going to be a divorce, get the kid into therapy. Yeah. And you would go and visit your father? Right. Every other weekend. Every other one here. Right. Really. And it was in Beverly Hills, right? Well, he ended up living in Beverly Hills right. uh, when uh, my folks remarried, both of them, in 1958. I was 11. Um, and for a year, that year, we had been living in New York because my mom wanted to be near her mother and her siblings. But the man she married, Stan, came from California at the time. So we moved back into Beverly Hills. Right. My father remarried that summer as well. And they moved to Hollywood. And they moved a lot, but mostly in Hollywood, West Hollywood, yeah. uh, and ultimately got into Beverly Hills somewhere around, oh, I want to say 1963, 1964, somewhere in that area, they moved into Beverly Hills. But I was never that far away. I could always go see them. Right. Your mother never tried to keep you away from him? Never. Not at all? Never. And when you would go and stay with him on the weekend, how was that with you... Him and his wife. Well, uh, the wife had two children. One was oh. four years younger, the other six years younger, which at that time was really an, an age gap, if you will. Right. But we got along. Tommy and Timmy and I got along, and we are still in touch. Um, and the mother, their step, uh, my, could be difficult. Yeah. Um, she could be difficult. She tried. Um, <laughs> But it wasn't the easiest of relationships. I bet. And her marriage with my father was not a good marriage. They so, never are. Well, it depends. My mother's marriage with Stan was a storybook marriage. Oh, yeah? Jesse, it was absolutely ideal. Your mother obeyed Stan? Well, they obeyed each other. Oh. Yeah. Stan, uh, she, she did everything she could to please him. Um, when he had business people over, she was a consummate hostess. Right. Uh, she supported him in every way, and he worshipped the ground she walked on. Amazing. Every birthday, every anniversary was a very imaginative present, you know, specially designed jewelry or some experience, a trip, something. Uh, he would always sit there and really rack his brain for an imaginative gift. He loved her like, like there was no end. Did you ever accept him as a father? I'm sorry, did I ever... Did you accept Stan as, as daddy? I, I never called him dad. <laughs> um, I just didn't. But, you know, I accepted him as a stepfather. Right. And really, he, in many ways, rescued me. Nice. Um, one person who wrote a critique of the book wrote that if it weren't for Stan, I wouldn't be a judge. If it weren't for my father, I never would have written the book. 
Wow, amazing. Yeah. So what was it like when you go to your father's house and you got this difficult stepmother over there and your father's beta and what was it like being there? It, you know, it was up and down. Um, there were times when Mai was very pleasant and it was not a problem. There were other times she could be very you know, snarky or nasty. Um, and there were times when I heard them fighting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, most of the time my father took me out and we would do things in town. Play miniature golf, which we both like to do. Go horseback riding, which we like to do. Uh, maybe go to a museum or something. Nice. Uh, so, you know, we were always sort of out and together. Um, but I remember sometimes at dinner it was fine, but I remember other dinners where it could get unpleasant. Yeah. And so when we, you would tell your father, I don't like coming over here because that woman is so nasty. Never said that. You never told your father? I never said that. And why not? I'm not sure. Um, maybe I didn't feel like I had the right to say it. That's a possibility. Maybe it wasn't so bad that I felt like I needed to. Maybe I just figured this is the price of seeing my father and spending time with him. You know, I decided that was the case and there was no re need to articulate anything further. And would you ever tell his wife to back off? I don't remember doing that. Why not? Why not? I'm a kid. <laughs> I'm a little kid. Um, you know, I'm 11, 12, 13. Um, I just don't remember that. Maybe I did, but nothing comes to mind. Would you tell your mother how mean this woman was to you when you would get home? Generally, we didn't talk about it. There, were, there was one time when I did talk to mom and Stan about my father because he was, in, he was having an affair with another woman. Your father was? Yeah. Even and, though you were married to another woman? Yeah, he was married to my, having a long-running affair with another woman. And so your father was a player? Yes. <laughs> yes, he was. Nice. And I can't blame him right. in the second marriage. You know, he was getting pleasure out of it, and... You know, I know that, you know, he needed that pleasure. I'm glad he found it. And I said, but it was difficult because, you know, he was using me as a way of carrying on the affair. Many times he would tell my, you know, Tony and I are going out and we would go out, but then Miriam would come into the game. Oh. And, you know, that became a little upsetting to me. And then I had a discussion with my mother and Stan. I, wrote, you, about, I wrote about that in the book, too. And but not with your father about it? Um. At that point, I think I did, but it was a very limited conversation, and we really didn't go deeply into it. So how old were you? Were, you, were your father living, we became an adult, like a full man adult? Was when, he still, is he still living? No, he died when I was 21. Oh, when you were 21. Yeah. And so be, between the time you were born to 21, did you ever have a real serious talk with him about the way you were feeling about him? And about his woman, about everything? Not about Miriam, definitely about Mai, especially because at one point he moved out and he wanted to divorce her. And then I held forth about my, the way I always felt. Yeah. But they reconciled, so that was that. Um, we had lots of talks about, you know, boy-girl, man-woman relationships. We had all sorts of father-son talks about that. Right. He was very forthcoming. Oh, nice. Yeah. And did that help you in life? Yeah, I think so. In what way? Um, it took a while, but he kind of, I was a naive kid. Yeah. You know, I was very scared to ask somebody out on a date in high school. <laughs> I, I did, but it was not often and pretty much reserved until I was a senior. Yeah. Uh, and even then I was slow to the uptake. Um, really? But my father kind of <laughs> gave me pointers along the way and also in college. Also in college. So did you become a player? Well, until I got married. 
Oh, yeah? I got married at 66. 66 years old? 66. Why did you get married so late? Either I didn't want to marry them or they didn't want to marry me. <laughs> <laughs> what can I tell you? <laughs> Go talk to them. <laughs> I'll give you names. <laughs> and does your wife obey you? Well, again, I, I don't want her to, quote, obey me. I want us to be our own people and do what we want to do and be there for each other. Right. Um, you know, the, the short answer would be, sure, she obeys, but I never, I hope, order her around. <laughs> and there are times I obey her. You do? Sure. You obey the woman? There are times. What? Uh... I know. It's a different <laughs> world, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> even even the vows of marriage, you don't say cherish and obey anymore. <laughs> I know. What yeah. a mess, huh? Right? It's, just, it's different, new world. And do you have children? No. Oh, no kids? That I know of, no. <laughs> yeah. That you know of. Yeah. And so at 66, you can't make babies? Well, at 66, we figured it was all over. Yeah. You know, I mean, we figured if it ever happened, it would happen, but... It's it's way too high an age to start having children. All right. You know, Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 99. Really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> More power, too. <laughs> so do you regret not having children? There are times I do and times I don't. Um, sure, it would be nice to project your genes into the next generation. Right. Uh, it would be nice to have somebody there kind of carrying on your memories but at the same time, I guess I was a little selfish. You know, I was very involved with my career, right. very involved with being a lawyer and more involved with being a judge. And, you know, it was nice not to have to worry about some kid that I had to take care of or, yeah. you know, drive to school every morning or, you know, <laughs> Beverly would have to take care of and feed and, you know, tend to if they got a cold or something like that. Uh, so it, what made you decide to get married at 66? We had been together for over 10 years. Oh, I see. Um, we weren't going anywhere in terms of, I mean, I wasn't looking around. I, she wasn't. Right. Um, and then we also realized that if something happened to me as a judge, she would not have a right to a pension. Oh. And so that came along and we talked about it and said, well, why not get married? It's not going to change anything. Let's just do it. Yeah. So we did it. And we did it on a whim on about 48 hours notice. Wow. Yeah. Well, are you her first husband? Second. Second husband. Yeah. And she already has kids and everything? No children. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And so what's important to you? In, in a marriage? Period. In life. In life. Um, trying to justify your existence, but at the same time, being happy. You know, feeling worthwhile, being happy. Right. Doing some good, which is why I like being a judge. Uh, much more than being a lawyer. You know, right. As a lawyer, I felt like I was really you know, being beholden, sometimes even prostituting myself for a client whom I might not believe in. Right. But as a judge, you, know, you don't have that uh, burden. You do what you think is the right thing. You follow the law. You try to get some people on with their lives. Uh, you try to resolve a conflict, quote, unquote, do justice between the parties. That's what counts. Uh, what type of lawyer were you? Civil. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. Um, do you have anger? Anger? Well, try not to. Um, I can only count on one hand anybody I have a grudge against. Uh, but uh, 
I don't really feel that much anger. I, I did as a lawyer no. because I felt like I was in the wrong job and I felt like I was wasting my education, which, you know, my mother and stepfather paid for. Oh, okay. And here I am, you know, working for these clients whom very often I didn't respect. Many I did and many I'm still friends with. But there were many I just had no use for at all. <laughs> and I kept thinking, why am I wasting my time and my education? Yeah. So that made me angry. But as a judge, no. Uh, the anger is very, very little. Now, that one trial where the jury hung, yeah, I was angry. But that dissipated. Right. Amazing. So what do you think about the court system being so political now? It's it, it not normal. You know, it's political and so whenever you go before a judge, you're not sure if you're going to get the right treatment because the courts are so political. What do you think about that? Well, you know, again, it depends on what court you're in. Um, California is lucky because it's not as political as many other state courts. Um, but it's a good reason not to have judicial elections. You should be appointed to the court and then you're totally independent because you don't stand for election. Oh, yeah. There should be a watchdog agency to remove a judge if they misbehave. But um, you know, to, to stand for election does make you beholden to the voters every so often, right. every six years in California. In other states, it's every four. And in many states, uh, the political parties get involved. They endorse, um, which they're starting to do in California, which is unfortunate. Yeah. And, um, yeah, there are times it is political, but judges have always been political. You know, if you're going to get appointed by the governor or, for that matter, by the president, you got to have some political savvy, okay? Somebody has got to know you, and it may be because you worked in a campaign, you knew a state senator or a congressperson or someone. Uh, so there's always a political aspect to it. Right. Uh, we're lucky here because there are places like uh, the Rio Grande in Texas, uh, Madison County in Illinois, um, Areas of Baltimore, so I'm told, where it's all politics. Yeah, yeah. But California is so liberal. Why isn't that the court system here is not? Well, it's politics. becoming more liberal because you have uh, you, your recent governors are, have been Democrats. Yeah. So you're going to have more, you know, liberal leaning judges appointed to the bench. I was appointed by Pete Wilson. He oh, was nice. preceded by George Dukmasian. Yeah. We had a pretty conservative bench, yeah. moderate. Uh, <coughs> we, we only had a couple of wild conservatives. Most were pretty moderate, and judging drives you to the center. I don't care which governor put you on the bench. I don't care if you were a public defender, a district attorney, a former U.S. attorney. You, you're driven to the center, and you try to, again, rule based on what the law is. Right. And the, the vast majority of judges I've dealt with act that way. Do you, are you a Christian? No. Uh, atheist? Jewish. you Jewish? Yes. you a Jew? You got it. You don't look like a Jew. Well, nobody <laughs> looks like anybody, you know. Just, that's sort of a, a, a sad thing to say about race and religion. <laughs> you know, we don't look the part. You know? <laughs> so is your wife Jewish too? She converted from Catholicism. Really? Yeah. Not yeah. for me. She did it before I met her. Oh, I see. Yeah. And so... You don't look like a Jew. I thought you were white. I am white. A white Jew. What, call me whatever you want to call me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you look at Middle Easterners, I'm told they really do uh, belong to the Caucasian race. Uh, I'm told that. I may be wrong. I haven't looked it right. up. But I've been told that. So if you're looking at somebody from Syria or Iran or Iraq, right. 
they're, they're considered Caucasian, I think. You might want to check that out on Google, but right. that's what I've been told. I was uh, uh, growing up, growing up, and I would see Jews somewhere, I think, but I didn't know the difference between a Jew and a white person. I just thought I was a white person. But since being out here and over the years, you know, I have Jewish friends and things like that, I'm able to tell the difference sometimes, hmm. but not all the time. What do you think about the attack upon Israel and what's going on now in the country? All these protests and they want to kill the Jews and all well, that crap. Anti-Semitism, of course, is, is vile. It has no place in any society. The problem is it's, it's old and it's endemic and I don't know how we root it out, but we have to. I'm glad this administration is trying to put together a, a task force to deal with it. And I'm glad there are groups like the Anti-Defamation League which are dealing with it, or trying to, um, because it's wrong. Just like uh, people who you know, disparage uh, African Americans, that's wrong. Or people who disparage Asians, that's wrong. I mean, but you know, I don't think that this administration liked the Jews very well. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, you can make an argument both ways, but you've got a vice president whose husband is Jewish. Okay, you've got a president who seems to be walk, talking the talk as far as supporting Israel and supporting the Jewish Biden? faith. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's helping out. We can argue about that. But my concern is that Biden is involved in in telling Netanyahu how to fight this war over there, and if he listen to Biden, I don't think he's going to win. Well, fortunately, Israel is a very independent, strong country. Yeah. They will do what they're going to do. They'll listen to somebody saying you ought to do this, whether they take the advice is up to them. Yeah. Are you afraid for your life right now? No. You're not afraid? No. Good. And why aren't you afraid? Maybe I'm stupid, but uh, I just, I have not had any experience with uh, direct anti-Semitism for a long time. I had it when I got out of law school. Uh, I saw an incident of it in law school with a professor who I am sure was anti-Semitic um, in Grade school and in high school, I never saw it because Beverly Hills at the time was easily 85-90% Ashkenazi Jewish. Oh, okay. And we were as assimilated as you'd ever want to be. Uh, we didn't see yarmulkes on the campus. Uh, people dressed and acted as if they were part of the mainstream of America. And even the non-Jews were as friendly to us as they could be. Right on. I noticed that Jews tend to be liberal. Not all, of course, because I know conservative Jews. Too. Yeah. Are you more conservative or liberal? More conservative. Why are Jews more liberal? Good question, and I'm sure, depending on whom you ask, you're going to get <laughs> different answers. Right. I can't sit here and tell you why, uh, on behalf of any you know, the whole religion. Um, there are you know, Jews who have felt that the Democratic Party helped them, and uh, you know, treated them very well. That could be a reason. Um, there are Jews who feel now that uh, the Democrats have uh, abandoned them uh, on the altar of political correctness or right. on DEI, and so they've become much more conservative. Nice. Um, it depends on whom you ask. How did you avoid becoming a liberal Jew? Well, remember in, in the United States, Study after study shows you that how you vote depends on how your parents voted. Right. Party identification yeah. runs with the parents. Yeah. My father was a very committed Adlai Stevenson Democrat, and my mother was a Democrat too. Stan was a Republican, oh. and he 
Actually, uh, he had lived in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and he was with a group of businessmen who recruited Gerald Ford to run for Congress. And he is, his uh, insurance broker was Richard Nixon's insurance broker when he came to California. And John Crable, the broker, became ambassador to Finland. Amazing. Stan was a very committed Nixon man. Okay, so now, you know, for the first 11 years, I'm with my father. Right. All about Stevenson and Kennedy and how wonderful they are. Um, but then in comes Stan, very committed to Nixon. And so I'm hearing it from both sides. Right. And then we add the uh, factor of the Vietnam War. And I was furious with Lyndon Johnson. I didn't think he was running it well at all. And that sort of drove me out of the, the Democrats into the arms of the Republicans. And nice. I, I uh, interned for the Nixon campaign in 68. Really? Yeah, yeah. I worked with uh, the national co-chair, Pat Hitt, worked with John Ehrlichman at the convention, um, Richard Kleindienst a little bit. I'm, if you recognize these names, Pat Hitt uh, was the only one who got away without Watergate uh, tainting. But Ehrlichman, we know what happened to him. Uh, Kleindienst, we know what happened to him. You know, Haldeman, the yeah. whole gang. And um, the good news is I was recruited to be in the 72 campaign but didn't do it. I got nervous, and even Stan, good Republican that he was, uh, looked at what was going on and basically looked at the job offer they made to me, which was not exactly uh, tempting. Yeah. And he said, this doesn't sound right. And so I turned it down, and I was very unhappy because that had been my goal, right. to get back in the campaign and then go into the Nixon White House after law school. And the timing was perfect, but I turned it down and fortunately did. I never would have been a judge otherwise. Amazing. Um, and one of the uh, jobs I was offered was somewhat akin to what Donald Segretti did. He was a, uh, convicted of several misdemeanors, uh, and he was part of that Watergate dirty tricks right. operation. And... Um, He's now back in the bar. He actually appeared in front of me one time. Oh, yeah? As a lawyer, he did a good job. He, he was a real gentleman. Right on. Yeah. So I remember uh, during that time, the Nixon time, mm -hmm. I wasn't like really paying a lot of attention to yeah. politics, but I used to get my hair cut with an old black guy, and he was a really good barber, by the way, Jimmy. I have to say his name. May his soul rest in peace. And he told me that Richard Nixon, Richard Nixon, was an amazing president, that he was a really good president, but he didn't think that most people recognized that. What do you say Your to that? Your barber was right. He was an amazing president. Yeah. Watergate upended him. Other than Watergate, he was really good. He was brilliant in foreign policy. We could use him these days. Uh, he was extremely liberal. If you look back on some of the things he did, starting the Environmental Protection Agency, uh, you know, trying to help uh, people out of poverty. He, he really had some good ideas and a lot of good policy. Wow. He was not a wild conservative. If he were alive today, he'd be drummed out of the Republican Party. Wow. They would have no use for him at all. Amazing. Nothing, nada. He'd be out. Wow, that's interesting. Uh, what's wrong with the blacks? Nothing's wrong with the blacks as a race. Nothing. I mean, there, there are good African-Americans. There are not so good African-Americans. There are good white people, not so good white people. You know, Where are it's they? It's a hard question. Where are they? The, the, well, I know I, well, I know plenty of African-Americans who are wonderful people. Really? Several who are judges. And they're doing a great job on the bench. That made me nervous. <laughs> Why? To have a black judge. What's wrong with that? I'm going to throw myself in jail already. No. 
Not at all. They'll they'll listen. I mean, the ones I'm thinking of <laughs> will listen. They'll apply the law. Uh, and but they're so. They hate white people. They hate. They believe in affirmative action. They believe in reparations. They believe in slavery and Jim Crow. Not and they're all very black. judgmental. Jesse, not all blacks. Well, I know there are some yeah. that are not like Jesse Clarence Thomas. You know who he is? Of course. I met with him several times. Amazing. Yeah, I've never met him. A human being and an amazing judge. Okay. So there are a few sprinkled here and there. But how will you tell the good ones from the bad ones that they all look alike? Well, they don't all look alike, and you got to talk to them. <laughs> That's how you find out. <laughs> uh, and so the blacks that are attacking the whites and, mm-hmm. and robbing their homes and fighting for reparations and all this mess, what's wrong with them? Well, the ones who are robbing, you know, engaging in home invasion robberies or Car pulling jacking. 211s, carjackings, why does anybody become a criminal? Some because it's mental health issues. Some because the family was not very good. They were abused as kids. Yeah. They don't know any better. Yeah. They never had a chance. Um, you know, why anybody becomes a criminal, it just it depends. I mean, it's, they're, they, 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 they're unhappy for their own reasons, if you will. To, to, uh, to paraphrase, what was the book, uh, the Russian novel that started that? I want to say... Uh, Anna Karenina, you know, all happy families are happy for the same reasons. Un- unhappy families are unhappy for their own reasons. Yeah. You know, you become a criminal for your own reasons. But And so should we give the blacks reparations and affirmative action? Should, should we cut that out so well, they can learn to stand on their own two feet? Affirmative action is dead. It's, it's, dead? Been, it's been ruled unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. But they Court. still do it anyway. Well, then, if that's the case, they're not uh, uh, following the law or they're skirting the law in some way or other that may or may not be legal. But affirmative action has been ruled unconstitutional, and we have to follow the law of the land, which is what the Supreme Court has ruled. So, you know, what I feel about it is almost irrelevant at this point. Um, Reparations, um, depends on what we mean by reparations. They mean money. Well, you know, there are other things you can do. Like, for example... The family that lost their land in Manhattan Beach back, I, I believe, in the that. 20s. Right. All right, that was given back to them. I have no quarrel with that, none whatsoever. The land was taken from them wrongly. They were, you know, and, and the government gave it back and said, look, we apologize. This was a real act of racism, inappropriate. Here's your property back. Now, I think what they've done is sold it, which is fine. They have a right yeah, to do that. Yeah, they sold that. I yeah. saw it in local news. They have a right to do that. Yeah. But you know, I have no quarrel about that whatsoever. You know, we can t- and that's a different subject from giving somebody who never had a slave in the family money. I can see the case being made for it, but I can see the case very easily being made against that. Amazing. Um, it's really, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, reparations is a very tricky, slippery subject. Do you love white people? Do I love white people? As much as anybody. Uh, there are white people I love, and a lot of white people, like some of these mass shooters, I don't. And, you know, it's interesting, Jesse, how many mass shooters do we have who are non-white? Most of them seem to be disaffected white males. No. Blacks commit mass shooting every day. Well, okay, I hear what you're saying. And it doesn't get into the newspapers. Right. But the ones that get yeah. in the papers, you have disaffected white people. They, yeah, they'll put the white people in the paper, but not the black. That's true. Is that fair? Probably not. Yeah. 
Probably not. Um, let me add his. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me suggest a book for you. Okay. Um, which I just finished reading. It's by a professor at Harvard, Michael Sandel. He wrote a book called The Tyranny of Merit. And it talks about why people, especially uh, uneducated white males, uneducated meaning they didn't go to college or might not have even made it out of high school, why do they feel so disaffected, angry, disrespected? And he really delves into it in a good way and talks about it. And um, he's, he's, he's long on analysis, short on recommendations, mm. but some of the recommendations he has are pretty good. How do you feel about the... Uh Oh, how do you yeah? How do you feel about the hatred that's being put up on white people today in their own country? They've been blamed for everything, and it's they're being discriminated against. They're called racist. They're they're being to blame for anything that goes wrong in the country. They're blaming on white people. If white people should speak up and say no, that's not true, they take the white people's stuff. They call them racism. How do you feel about the hatred toward the white population? Well, you're, you're, you're describing you know, uh, an argument that is not logical. What do you mean? Uh, it's, well, it's overly simplistic. And if you went the other way and said, oh, it's always because of black people, I'd give you the same answer. Okay? Um, you know, if somebody says, oh, it's just because white people are wrong, or I think it was Susan Sontag who said white people are the cancer of the human race. I think it was Sontag. Again, don't quote me. Right. Um, but this is, you know, I guess, a function of what? Guilty liberalism, uh, not e ignorance, overly simplistic analysis. Um, you know, it, it, it doesn't make sense if you really put it under a microscope. Right. But at the same time, the argument going the other way, you know, oh, it's because of the, you know, <laughs> the blacks are doing this and they're the cause of all the trouble. Same reaction. It's it's you know, it, it it lacks logic. It's overly simplistic, based but, on prejudice. But I grew up in, in uh, oh let me ask you this down to you where I grew sure. up. So I see this advertisement sometime on TV where it says be aware of racism or something like that. Okay. And it says be aware of racism against the Jew or hatred against the Jews mm -hmm. and against the Mexicans and against the blacks and against the Asian or somebody like that. Racism is always wrong. Hatred is always wrong. But I notice that they leave out white people whenever they talk about people being discriminated against, mm -hmm. being attacked. They never mention white uh, whites being attacked. Why is that? When it's so apparent that it is, why don't if this is going to add all the other cultures into the being attacked? Why not add the white people? They should. Too? But why they do you should. think they don't? Some people would then call it a racist ad. Some people would uh, say the ad lacks authenticity or genuineness. Uh, or can, uh, that, that could be any one of any re a number of reasons. Um, some people would say it's not a politically correct thing to say. Okay. Well, they still should add them anyway, even though there are people who are going to complain about it like they do about anything. Mm -hmm. But to be fair to white people, since this is their country, they founded this country, they created this country, and if it wasn't for white people, none of us would be here. Well, when you, say so they, why not? They, when you say they founded and created the country, um, 
Yeah, there were a lot of there were a lot of people here to begin with, Native Americans for openers. But they weren't doing anything. They were sitting around smoking pot. No, they weren't. They were running well, their own. They had their own societies, pot. and you know, they were, the Native American nations actually were fairly democratic. But they some were not. Doing some were anything. not. Some were run by caciques, uh, but some were extremely democratic, almost isocracies. Um, it depends again on what tribe you're talking about. Uh, but they were, you know, doing very well in many areas. Doing well how? Self-sustaining. But they were living taking, in the woods in a hut, They were a tent. Well, they were happy about it. They were surviving. They were thriving. But Again, they were fighting they, each other. They were warring amongst yeah. each other. They were killing one another, raping and robbing and doing all kind of Some tribes evil were. things, right? Some tribes so, were. But the white people brought peace into their lives. Well... Not General Custer. <laughs> <laughs> he was tough. He was. He was. Maybe he was Donald Trump's daddy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll live with that suggestion. <laughs> but why don't uh, people of color, of all color, give credit to white people for, with the help of God, creating the Constitution, the greatest country in the world, well, freedom, I, in, in Why this, don't they give Jesse, more? Jesse, in this country, it goes back to slavery. What do you mean? Well, white people enslaved non-whites, okay? Right. So I think... Everybody enslaved somebody at some point. That's true. Romans enslaved, uh, you know, North Africans. Uh, blacks enslaved blacks. And, oh, no question. And blacks sold blacks into slavery. Right. No question. It's a, it's a very complicated, messy history. So why don't they give credit to white people in white world, Europe and America for creating such great countries that everybody and their mama want to come to, the borders are overflowing, and everybody want to come here, but yet they come and then they blame the white man for their unhappiness. Well, there are a lot of reasons, and we can sit here and analyze them, but I don't think we're going to come to the reason. I know We can reason. sit here and, what, what, what do you, when you say you know, what is it? It's the hatred of the heart. They don't have love. And when you have anger, you don't have love, and you're always blaming somebody else for your fault, failure. Mm -hmm. But if you have love, you don't blame anyone. Very possible. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, very possible. Do you believe that slavery have anything to do with the failure of black people that are so angry and out of control, or is it in the home? It's a little of everything, including the Jim Crow laws, which came after Reconstruction. They, they hurt a lot. How? Hurt. They treated blacks as inferior. It was, it was a form of ersatz slavery. Where? In the South. What and part? in many ways, oh, I would say right across uh, the southern part of the uh, United States and even into areas like California. I mean, you know, think about the segregation. When you would take a train back even in the 50s, if you took a train from, say, Jackson, Mississippi to Los Angeles, um, you would get on the train in Los Angeles and there'd be blacks and whites in the same cars. Right. When you crossed into Texas, a light would go on. And the light in the car meant you are now in a segregated area. The blacks have to move into their own car. Right. Okay? That's segregation, pure and simple. But what's wrong with that? Everything was wrong with that. Like what? Why do you classify people based on race? What's the point? But then that's what blacks are doing today to the whites. Universities and things like that, they want black dormitory. They want black graduation. They don't want to be with the whites. They want this and that. Are they evil for doing that? 
Well, they won't tell you they're evil. They're, uh, many of them really just want to kind of set up their own control, uh, their own identities, their own strengths, if you will. And once that's happened, then meet whites on equal terms. Well, was that that r- could be that an explanation. Wrong? Sorry? Is that wrong for them doing that? Depends on the reasons they're doing it. If it's based on hatred, yes, it's wrong. If it's based on some other reason, it may not be. You have to ask them. So was it wrong when the train would cross over to the south and the blacks had to go in their train? But why was that wrong but not wrong for the blacks to do it to the whites today? Because back then it was done by law, by operation of law, with assumptions that blacks were inferior. But they still, the blacks can get away with it now because they're protected by the law to discriminate against the whites. But it's different. It's but it's different. not wrong? It depends on why they're doing it. Why, because it, they, they hate white people. Some do, some don't. But if, it, if it's because of hatred, yes, it's wrong. But if it's why for some it? other reason... No. Well, why, like I, why? I, I remember I took a class in college called Black Theater, taught by an African-American professor. And we had blacks and whites in the class. And at one point, the professor said, look, we're going to split the class because the blacks need their own space to develop their own style of drama and theater. OK. More I, well, you know, I mean, I, I wasn't happy about it, but I could understand it. and It would be different. If, uh, from, if he had said something like, uh, we want the blacks out of the class because the whites are better and you know, they can't perform as well with you here dragging them down. Okay? Different logic. But I don't understand why you're saying that it's okay for the blacks to separate themselves from the whites in the universe or whatever, but it wasn't okay for the train to stop and the blacks had to go in their train and the whites go in there. Why wasn't it okay for the whites to do it if the black can do it? It doesn't make sense. Well, no, if it, it's it, wrong, it should be. Have you you Jesse, old enough to hear about the goose and the gander, right? Yeah. So why was it good for the goose? Should be good for the gander. Well, we start with the fact that it happened on the trains because that was the law, and the law was period. It was wrong. But it's the law now because the blacks can get away with it. Mm, again, different. We're we're going in a circle here. We're going um, in a circle. You got me going in circles. Um, exactly. I grew up in Alabama on a plantation. Wow. I worked the plantation. I grew up on the Jim Crow law. Yeah. And what you said about it is not true. Okay. And that's what I want you to know is that they have made up a false history about Jim Crow law and the blacks. The blacks were doing better. We were doing better. And all the blacks I knew were doing better under Jim Crow than they are today because they have family, they work for themselves, blacks and white got along for those who love God and love what's right and wouldn't based on color. Interesting, and, interesting. And, and black people have businesses and work. My One of my aunt got married, she and her husband had like 19 kids, I think, something like that. And they had their own land and all, and all the kids went to college and become doctors and lawyers and one of my best friends, the same thing. You were it, in a very unique situation. Right, I had parents. Yeah. Jesse, have you ever read a book by Isabel Wilkerson? Does that make wait, a difference wait, wait, that I have parents? Stop for a second. Have you ever read a book by Isabel Wilkerson called The Warmth of Other Sons? The Warmth of Other Sons? Sons, S-U-N-S. Oh, sir, no, I haven't. Read it. It's, you know, it's an oral history of, I think it's three families you know, who came from the Jim Crow South, came up to the North, and how they fared. And I've got to tell you, it's very eye-opening. Now... Unless everybody was lying to this author, it will really make you sit up and take notice. 
Okay, and you know you don't have to go further than that book, but you could. I mean, obviously, reading W. E. B. Du Bois is going to give you another look on what's going on, or James Baldwin give you another look on what's going on, de, uh, or, uh, or the autobiography of Malcolm X. I mean, you know what you're saying, and, it's, and I respect that you well, had Booker a particular T. Washington. Sorry, Booker T. Washington. You know who he is? Sure. They don't like him. The blacks don't Didn't like him. Didn't he start Tuskegee Institute? Yes. Yeah. And the, and I've the been black. to Tuskegee. I spent a week down there. It's amazing. Huh? Yeah. Well, he came from slavery, but the blacks hate him. They don't use him as an example. That's too bad. They want to use the Oh, I'm so poor. I can't make it because I'm black. And Jim Crow, they lie to you. Do yeah. you know that it, all of my uncles and, and aunts, when they grew up in Alabama, they're much older than I am, right? Mm-hmm. And... When they left Alabama, they went to Indiana, Florida, New York. They they bought homes. They mm-hmm. got married. They had truckloads of children. Yeah. They never got on welfare. They were not blaming white people. And they were older than I am and was at the time. And they grew up under supposedly worse conditions than anybody else. Why were they able to do fine and teach their children the same thing? Well, let, let, let me look. You, you know, I, I respect that you grew up on a plantation during the Jim Crow era. Yeah. And it sounds to me like you are very lucky in terms of your surroundings in that area because everything I've read by other people, quite different. They lie. So all these people who talked to Isabel Wilkerson were lying to her. Yes. Or she just made it up. Yes. Okay, I, don't I mean, I, don't, I wasn't there. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who she is, but the only well-known author, very well regarded. The only reason that blacks, not the only reason, but the one of the primary reasons that black people lost their way was because of the civil rights movement. The worst thing, other than abortion, that has ever happened to the blacks was the civil rights movement. If the civil rights movement had never happened, black people would be much better off today. Because they sold their lives over to the so-called civil rights movement, Martin Luther King, Jesse Jackson, all those crappy people. They gave their lives over to them, and then they sold them over to the Democratic Party. It's just been down here. Blacks have well, not stopped banging Martin, and whining. Martin Luther King was one of the most respected people you know, in the United States. Well, I, they I, always I, respect the devil. Uh, he certainly wasn't a devil in my mind, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I heard him speak. On May 31, 1964, right. I heard him speak in the L.A. Coliseum. And I got to tell you, he was fantastic. He was spellbinding. And what he said made a lot of sense. He was a very great man. I, I, had, I remember where he, uh, I was when he was assassinated. I was at a small seminar back in college. I had tears in my eyes when I got the news. But uh, you heard Obama speak too, right? Yeah. The devil speaking. The devil speak what you want to hear. Well, Obama's a very different person. You First of all, you've you got to admit he's one of the very best speakers we've ever had in the presidency. The devil's children are always the best speakers. <laughs> well, okay. I mean, look, <laughs> you know, I don't agree with any, everything uh, Barack Obama said or did either, but he was in many ways a very decent president and a what? decent man. Yeah, I think so. Do you see what's happening to the country as a result of Barack Obama? It has been downhill ever since. Okay. So you, 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 would, you would say that Donald Trump wasn't the best president either. Donald Trump is the best. I call him the great white hope. Oh, my, the Jack Johnson of politics. 
What's that? He was the, the great white hope, the play. Jack oh, Johnson right. was the, the boxer. And, and so is Donald Trump. Okay, Did reasonable minds can differ. Pardon me? Did you vote for him? Well, how one casts his political vote is a privileged right. piece of information. You're right about that. In fact, that. you can't, you know, it's, it's under our evidence code, you can't ask the if question. If you didn't, you have, God is giving you another chance <laughs> this year well. to vote for the great white hope. Don't miss the chance. There might not be another train after this one. Well, as I said, reasonable minds might differ about that. <laughs> Wait, but uh, are you saying my mind is not reasonable? No, you may, you have a reasonable mind. <laughs> Donald Trump is, you know, I mean, I, there are things that he did as president we can agree with. Things he did we don't agree with. Um, are you able to name one thing because of time? One thing that you disagree with that he did? Well, I don't want to get into this for one reason. The code of judicial ethics. Oh, okay. We're no, not then. allowed to get political. That's and right. I, right now, I'm skirting the line, you but are. I don't Let want to go start. further. I won't get you in trouble with the blacks, or with anybody, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or with anybody. So that's yeah. right. Um, does your wife obey you? Did you ask you that already? You asked me that question, and you said no because because you guys didn't do your own thing. Yeah. Question asked and answered, as we would say in a courtroom. Right, you did ask. <laughs> um, what is love? What is love? It could be an outpouring uh, feeling of uh, positive emotion, if you really want to give it a, a clinical definition. Right. That might be as good as any. And what is a man? Are you including a woman in that uh, question? No, what is a man? A man is a, gen- a male gender. A male gender. With certain, yeah, with certain chromosomes, two different types, the X and the Y. And, uh, you know, of a, a certain gender. Amazing. One last question about this, sure. and I'll put you on the hot seat. All right. And I need you to ask these questions as quickly as possible on the hot seat. That woman, uh, the gay woman, uh, what's her first name out in Harvard? She resigned or got fired or something? What was her name? Oh, Claudine, Claudine Gay. Claudine Gay. Okay. She resigned. Yeah, she sure did. Are you glad she did? <sighs> It probably benefits Harvard University that she did. Yeah. Um, I feel sorry for her. Why? Why? Uh, I think she was trying to do the right thing as president. Really? Yeah, but, and I feel badly for her, but I think it was the right move for her to step aside. And why do you feel badly for someone that didn't seem to love the Jews? Well, I'm it, not it convinced. It appeared that she didn't. Uh, right. So why would there's a difference between something appearing to be and something actually being. And I'm not prepared to say she's anti-Semitic. I'm prepared to say her answer was badly thought out, uh, not, you know, and uh, somewhat offensive, actually. But I'm not prepared to say she was prejudiced. But had a white woman said the same thing about the Jews in the same response? A white woman did, the president of Pennsylvania. Would you say she was prejudiced? Again, don't know. Uh, I don't know her. You're talking about people with very, you know, amazing academic backgrounds. Not, not gay. Well, we the plagiarism According issue. Report. The plagiarism issue is a serious question. There's yeah. no, you know, no issue about that, and the Harvard Corporation probably should take a hard look at this. And we'll see where it goes. Uh, I was told this morning that she, she, she's fired from being the president, but she still has tenure at the school. Right. She's so still she a professor. So she ain't going nowhere. Well, she remains a professor. 
she's not the president anymore. I know, but why should they have that as a profe- uh, professor there, knowing that her the way she sees things? Well, why don't they just send her back to the hood? Let's wait and see. That's, that's a question I cannot answer. Oh, okay. Okay, I'm not that steeped in academia and the way it works. I, I may have been a Harvard fellow, but the uh, the way Harvard runs at the top of the uh, leadership ladder, way beyond my wheelhouse. One other quick thing that I yeah. noticed about that, I saw a history on uh, Jesse Waters' show the other day on Fox okay. and he laid out that Harvard, and I don't remember every way everything he said, but he he would mention how old Harvard University is. Yep. And that it was one of the universities of this country mm-hmm. and one of the best universities, right? Yeah. And he showed the men who were helped found at Harvard and mm-hmm. how this one guy donated his land and stuff to Harvard. Okay. And that and then all the other white men, amazing, that made Harvard so great, right? Mm-hmm. And that when they had the Civil War, the Civil War, I believe it was the Civil War, that Harvard sent all the students home and allowed the, the some of the, the the warrior people the people were fighting to stay at Harvard mm-hmm. something like that, and then he didn't say this, but I thought that was so amazing how white people were making Harvard so great, right? And it took a black one black to destroy it. To destroy it, you said? Yeah. Well, Harvard obviously has had its reputation nicked. I'm not prepared to say it's been destroyed. But, but what this woman nicked. again? Look what she's done. Harvard would never be the same. Mm, that's uh, word. Never is really a strong word. You, know, you don't like that word. Institutions have been you know trashed and banged around and have recovered. Uh, but you think Harvard's not going to go to the wall? I'll tell you that. Really? No, it won't. It, it'll come back. It's a strong college with very bright people, well accomplished people. You know, a, a, a stunning endowment. Uh, they're not going to fall apart. Well, most people are afraid to correct the blacks. And as you know, whenever you put the blacks in position, they destroy. They don't make it better. Well, they don't add to it for the good. They destroy it. Jesse, I disagree with you. Look what Obama did to America. Is he black? Well, you know, you're, you're, you're assuming that he destroyed the country. Uh, he, assuming? Do you live in this country? Sure. And look what uh, the black mayors and city councils are doing to the cities around the country. They have a black mayor in, New- in Chicago and New York. A hellhole. Well, again, you know, we can probably name some black mayors who did very well. Carl Stokes in Cleveland was a very good mayor. When Where he was Carl elected. Stokes now? Probably not alive. I rest my case. <laughs> Everybody dies. We're all <laughs> going to the same junkyard. <laughs> <laughs> but why do blacks, when they are put in position by whites, why do they destroy it? rather than making it better, like neighborhoods and communities and schools and businesses. Why do they destroy? Well, you see, you're saying they all do. I can think of lots of whites who destroy things as well as, uh, you know, there are blacks who do and, and whites who do. But why you do know, Augustus Hawkins was a very good legislator. He didn't go around destroying things. Who was Augustus Ronald Hawkins? Dellums was good. Those he didn't people destroy dead, things. Well, again, we're all going to die. I know, but those were the good old days. When black people were not into blaming and whining and bay, they were earning their way. But the blacks don't earn their way anymore. And so now y'all, the white people, not you, but the white people give it to them and they destroy it. Let me ask you a question, since you're African-American. No, I'm not African-American. Okay. I'm American. Okay, you're an American. Do you, uh, other than running this organization and this show, which is a good thing to do, 
Do you have any other plans or thoughts in terms of what you yourself would do or policy recommendations you would get behind to correct the situation you're complaining about? Yes. Uh, when I become president, I'm going to demand, pass a law, that fathers and mothers have to raise their own children and be a good example and teach them the right way to go. And if the parents refuse to do that, then the kids, when they become an adult, they're going to have to go through hard times. Okay. And assume, assuming you don't become president. Assuming I don't? Yeah. No, I'm going to be the president. Are you a candidate? Not yet. Are you planning to be? No, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but the same thing, I'll rebuild families. I would bring God, in, uh, encourage people to turn back to God mm-hmm. and love him with all their heart, soul, and might. Because there is no such thing as, and never has been, and never will be, <clears throat> and ain't gonna be. No such thing as racism, sexism, homophobism, uh, deadbeat dadism, yeah. white supremacism, antisemitism. There's no instance. Let me ask you this question. Right or wrong, good okay. or evil. Jesse, let, let me ask you this question, because it's a parenting question, which you know clearly you're very interested in and care a lot about. And that is, you know, Children, when they're born, don't come with instructions. So how does one learn to be a good parent? By when they become an adult, take control of their own life and overcome the fallen state. You're responsible as an individual, adult. You and no one else is responsible for your life. How do you learn that? By looking at yourself and forgiving your parents for failing you, especially your mama for turning you away from your father. Forgive your father for not protecting you from your mother, your mother, and God will forgive you, and he will change your life. He will take away all fear, all doubt, all jealousy, all envy, all strife, all revenge, everything will be taken, and you have perfect love. Hey, from your lips to God's ears. Amazing. (laughs) If that can work, that's great. It can work. I'm a living witness. It can, and it does work for those who want to overcome and stop blaming Okay. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, give me a yes or no, and then I gotta go. Do uh, do the Jews own everything? Heck, no. You hear that a lot, though, right? Sorry. You hear that a lot, right? Of course, I hear it. They say they control everything. The media. Okay. So I'm wondering if they control everything. Why don't it's they? A, it's, it's another blood libel. You know that, and I know that. Yeah. So I wonder if they own and control. Why don't they stop the Palestinians from running up and down the country trying to hurt folks? Well, now we're you know. Going way off into another discussion. Yeah, and I know you can't because you're a jerk. You got it. We have to be careful. That's right. right. Thank God I don't have to be careful. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Go eat forth. <laughs> so listen, I got to put you on the hot seat. And I need you to answer these questions as quickly as possible. I'm listening. The hot seat. Is there flat around? <laughs> I'll say round. I'll take the chance and say round. <laughs> when I become president, I plan to get rid of all computers and bring human beings back to work. It, it, it's a, Good it, idea the, or bad? The question, well, you're assuming a fact, not an evidence, uh, which is I'm going to become president. Um, <laughs> you're stuck with computers, just like we're stuck with the telephone, stuck with uh, the television set. Amazing. Computers are not going anywhere. Are you a nationalist? Meaning? I love my country. Does that make me a nationalist? Nice. Okay. I'm not a jingoist, but I am a nationalist. I'm a nationalist, too. Okay. All the way. All right. 
Uh, next question. Have you ever gone to Israel? Yes. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Would I become president? Or no, if I were God. Okay. One of the requirements would be you cannot enter into heaven unless you've gone to Israel first. Isn't that amazing? I would recommend that everybody go. Me too. I would recommend anybody see Israel. I've gone yeah, over that, that one I'm with you on. I think everybody should visit Israel. It was really, really. But really. I also recommend that every you know person living in the United States spend some time in a country like North Korea or Venezuela to see just what an authoritarian government is like so that they will appreciate our form of well, government. Well, we've had it already with Obama, so I think they know. Yeah. He, that was not an authoritarian presidency. <laughs> At any rate, next question. <laughs> this is fun. Go ahead. Have you ever told anyone how the cow ate the cabbage? Vague. <laughs> Can't even answer that. <laughs> is it ever okay to call a woman fat? Probably not. It sounds insulting. True or false? Abortion is worse than slavery. I I believe strongly in a woman's right to choose. Really? Yes. What? uh, I do. Murder? No, it's not. A woman has a right to choose. (laughs) Was Jesus white or black? I have no idea. (laughs) Um... True or false, women were created to lead, to follow and not lead. False. False? False. True or false, every time a man takes a woman's advice, he suffers. False. What? Uh, false. My stepfather should have taken my mother's advice many times. <laughs> so should my father have. Really? Yes. Have so. you ever taken a woman's advice? Of course. It was always wrong. No. Not at all. A lot of it was correct. Do we need more white babies? I'm not sure we need more babies, except uh, as a uh, replacement factor for a uh, world population, and it doesn't matter what color they are. Do we need more white babies? Doesn't matter what color they are. Is it okay for a black man to love the Confederate, Confederate flag? Hey, you know, they can love whatever they want. It's their choice. If they want to love the Confederate flag or the uh, Bhutanese flag or, uh, you know, the, the, uh, an old shoe, let them do it. Do you love the great white hope, Donald Trump? I can't say I love any president. Did you have fun? Today? Yes. With you? Yes. Oh, yeah, this was a kick in the head. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for coming. All right, I, thank I, you. I absolutely appreciate it. All right, so Jesse. tell the folks how to get you an amazing book. And how to get to your website or whatever you want to put on. Okay, well, the book is, and I will reach over and get it here. Every Other Weekend, Coming of Age with Two Different Dads, available on Amazon, on IndieBound, on Barnes & Noble, Thrift Books, various bookstores around the country. Uh, But the best place to get it is online. Kindle, it's available there. or in softbound, hardbound, I tend to prefer the softbound. And my website is www.anthonyjmore.com. Happy reading, I hope. And, and more, M-O-R. M-O-H-R. M-O-H-R. There it is, M-O-H-R. Amazing. Okay. Uh, thank you for coming. Thank you. And thank you for your support. For Don't forget that you can support The Father State by going to thefatherstate.tv slash donate. 
And then we are on Locals. You can support us there. And uh, thank you in advance. I absolutely appreciate it. Like, follow, ring the bell. Y'all know what to do, right? Do all those things to support us. Check out our merch. Thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you. Thank you. Amazing. All right.